0: Romans chapter 12. One of the founding fathers of America once said, if there must be trouble, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my child may have peace whether we like it or not, the fact of the matter is there indeed is a fight going on that rages more intense than ever before in human history. I believe it is a battle for our homes, for our hearts, and for our children. Satan continues to seek to steal, kill and destroy, and he particular prays upon the weak, doesn't he? Now that doesn't mean that we, you know, enter this world every week in fear and intimidation, and you know, looking for the devil behind every bush. And 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 you know, um, not at all. Actually, matter of fact, the apostle Paul encourages us and says that the weapons of our warfare um, of our warfare are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. But they aren't carnal weapons, he says in 2 Corinthians 10. They are spiritual weapons in a spiritual warfare. And when we read there in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, a very simple and yet very powerful verse that I believe really encapsulates the essence of what we want to talk about The essence of what I believe we need to focus upon, maybe uh, for this time and this season in our life and, and in our world. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. The Bible says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's say that verse together, please. It's a short one. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much this morning for your mercy. Lord, when you have our heart, you really have all of us. Father, we pray that you would help us right now, Lord, to yield our hearts to to you and your control. Lord, I pray it help us to love you more because truly, you, you surely did love us so much, Lord. You love us first. Lord, I pray that this morning you'd speak to each and every one of our hearts, Lord, whether young or old, wherever we are in life, Father, I pray you help us. Father, if there's anyone in our midst that doesn't, have the peace with God this morning. It doesn't know for sure whether they're on the way to heaven. I pray that this morning your spirit will work in them and they will be willing to submit to you and they will be willing to trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would use these feeble lips and, Lord, you would use this unworthy vessel and completely hide me behind your wonderful cross and that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to preach a message entitled, Be the Difference, Be the Difference. So many times we want to bemoan, we want to complain about everything that is wrong in the world, and we get discouraged or despaired, and that is not the attitude that a Christian ought to have at all, actually. And as we enter this school year, as we um, uh, uh, get into uh, the busyness of uh, our uh, schedules again, as we look back at a hopefully enjoyable summer, folks, we have to realize that whatever evil we encounter in our lives, whether it is within or without, as we sang in the song, God says there is a solution for that. There is a right and a godly answer. And so many times we focus on wanting to change the evil when the change actually starts in us. Do you know what is the best way to change the evil? By us becoming good and godly. And I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. As Moses is wrapping up his ministry there as a leader of the children of Israel, as they're about to enter what we call the promised land, the land of Canaan. He's giving them quite the speech here, and he's trying to prepare them spiritually for the world that they're going to live in, a world that they can live either in the will of God and under God's blessings, or a world where they will follow the ways of all the people around them, without God and without God's blessing and help and he's I believe encouraging and equipping them here on how to do that and how to in an evil world overcome that by good and we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 there in verses 1 and 2 where he starts out and and encourages them, hey uh, I'm I'm giving you these instructions so that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and Not just you, but also thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3, that it may be well with thee. And So before we go into anything here, we have to realize God is giving these instructions for their benefit, for their blessing. Amen? Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Now that's not gain to God. God's already godly. He doesn't need that gain. Again, it's for you and for me, amen? Um, And so, then we see in verse 4, the famous pronouncement uh, about God there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so, of course, first we need to have the right view of God in order to see Him work in our lives. We need to first... Uh, Have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. The right view of God will result also in the right view of myself and in the right perspective of the world around me. And I believe that's why he starts out this way. And then he moves on into verse 5. And that's where I want to focus on there Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou lies down, and when thou risest up. I want to break down these verses into three main uh, areas three main points here of our life the first one is the battle for your heart the battle for your heart the second one is the battle for your kids and the third one is the battle for your influence let me first break down there in verse five and verse six the battle for your influence heart, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with, what is that word? What's that? All. Oh, come on, what's that word? All, oh, there we go, all right, you're all here, amen? With all, A-L-L, amen? With all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And I believe there in verse 6, he really gives us a key on how to do that. To love the Lord with all our heart. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Amen. Somebody once fittingly said, at the heart of every problem is a problem with the heart. At the heart of every problem is a problem with the heart. I think Solomon observed that as well when he said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And all hard are all my decisions being made. The heart is, is the center of my being. It, it is mentioned over 800 times in our Bible. Sounds pretty important, amen? The heart is the seed of my emotions, of my affections, and, and of my will, where I make my choices. Now my heart is mostly controlled by what goes on in my mind. Did you know that? That's why it's so important that my mind is yielded to and controlled by the Holy Spirit, Amen. That's why I need to uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly in me, Amen, so that my mind thinks the right things so that my heart will make the right decisions. In Psalm 119, verse 34, I believe we see that. It says there, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law, yet I shall observe it with my whole heart. Notice first, he's praying for understanding in regards to the word of God, because he knows that will result, the right thinking will result in the right heart. And then he'll have a heart to obey the word of God as well. Solomon said to his son, we mentioned it this morning already in Psalm chapter 23, verse 26, My son, give me thine heart. Amen. Esther just saying about it. My son, give me thine heart. And folks, there's a battle for the heart of our children today, um, but there's certainly also a battle, a battle for your heart and my heart. Amen. I've had it heard it said before uh, when you know, especially to uh, to a, a young man or a young woman, um, that it is recommendable for them to read at least two books every month. Do you know what these two books are? Especially for young people, but really for everyone, that is the Book of Proverbs. In the book of Ecclesiastes, my son, give me thine heart. Now, if you want to do more reading Romans, is a great book too. And so is Ephesians as well. A lot of help in that. But folks, we, we, if we want to uh, learn to have the right heart before God, if we want to learn how to think right before God, I need to ask him for wisdom. I need to ask him for understanding his word. Because God knows that we're made in the image of God and we're not just robots that say, well, uh, yep, I'm doing, right? (laughs) God knows that understanding creates wisdom and wisdom in our heart creates the right actions. My son, give me thine heart. Does God have your heart? this morning oh i'm so burdened for the children i'm so worried you know as, as they're going out into the world into the public school or or or, or, or the um, christian school or the home school uh wherever they're they're uh, getting their education and oh i'm so worried i'm so concerned for their tender heart praise the lord for your concern let those concerns be poured out in heartfelt prayer before the almighty father in heaven but what about your heart What about my heart? I'm afraid that so many times I fail to understand that my heart's attitude rubs off quite a bit more than I realize upon those young ones around us. Amen? Let me ask you a question Do you have your child's heart? Do you have your child's heart? We, we must not just gain our child's heart, we also need to learn how to keep the child's heart. Dr. Derek Coomer writes, a parent that has a rebellious child did not have their heart, and that is why they rebelled. Or they did not keep the heart of that child, and therefore they rebelled. You have to get your child's heart. The problem in every spiritual problem is the heart. That's where every disobedience, every rebellion, every bitterness begins. Children's lives wander because their hearts wander. The one who has your child's heart will eventually have his life or hers and also their loyalty. Where's your child's heart? who has access to gain your child's heart. Parents, do you treasure, do you guard, do you keep your child's heart with all diligence? Somebody once said, the most dangerous place in the world is between a mother and her child. If you get in between that, good luck, amen? <laughs> Mama bear's coming. But is it really, amen? I cannot gain my child's heart if my heart... Is in the wrong place myself, amen? See, it's, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 12 that a good man, or woman for that matter, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And the evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And every problem, at the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Say, how do I know who has my heart? Well, let me ask you this. Who or what has your attention? Oh, I I I don't know. I'm just you know I'm just too busy looking at my screens. Well, then you know. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't know. I don't even I don't even got time for attention. All all I got time for is work. There's bills to pay. Oh, I understand. God understands too. But then you know. Whatever has your attention will also get your affections. Amen. Whatever has your attention will also get your affections. And I believe that's why the Lord starts out there in Deuteronomy chapter six, as he, he's, he's uh, equipping and instructing the children of Israel uh, before they, they enter the promised land there on how to live successfully uh, surrounded by an evil world. He says, first, I need to get your heart. Whatever has your attention will also get your affections. The prophet Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, verse 51, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Or Jesus Christ went on to say in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your priorities? Where's your sight? Where's your affections? Folks, if my heart is divided, I cannot expect God's protection in this evil world. I cannot expect God's blessings in this evil world. And I also cannot expect uh, God's power to be successful and to overcome the evil in this world with good. Because in me, Paul said, there dwells no good thing. Amen. Any good that I could counter and, 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 and resist and overcome the evil in this world would be, well, given from God. Amen. Where's my heart? But secondly, I want to look at the battle for your kids. The battle for your kids As we move on to read there in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The word diligently means with effort. It's work. Amen. (laughs) It's consistent investment. Well, who is thou? Well, that's the people of God. That's the parents. He's talking about their children. By the way, your children are your children. They're not belonging to the government. They do not belong to the states. They don't belong to the community. Amen. Amen. They belong to their parents and their parents are well advised to yield their children back to the care of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. And say, God, I need help with the children that you gave me. Amen. Um, Amen. But folks, yeah. thou shalt teach them. Well, but but doesn't the word them here in Deuteronomy six, verse seven, refer primarily to the commandments of God? And certainly you'd be right about that. I want to turn now to the New Testament, then Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. <clears throat> And while we turn there, I'd, I'd like to ask one of the children to help me out, please. All right. Who of the children here is big and strong enough to hold a cup of water? Who can? All right. The one, you can hold a cup of water. Awesome. Wonderful. I appreciate that. All right. Now, what I need you to do is, if you could turn around, please. Uh, yeah. To, to, towards the people. Wonderful. All right. I'm going to read a verse of scripture and explain it a little bit. And all I need you to do is hold out this cup of water. All right, just hold out like that, okay? Wonderful, good job, all right? Now let's read Ephesians chapter six, verse four, please. The Bible says there, and your fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We know what bring up means, but what does mean nurture and admonition of the Lord mean? And let me just, allow me to just explain these words real quick. Nurture means to feed To give that which promotes growth, it is defined as instruction, and it's defined as education. It's Greek word there is is ultimately one of the root words for the word pedagogic, which means teacher or tutor. You're still good there, Davona. You sure? All right, good. Tutoring, educating, disciplining, that's what the word nurturing means. Admonition means gentle reproof. Cautioning, giving direction, and preventing transgression—that the Lord says here in Ephesians chapter six—is the responsibility of the fathers or of the parents, if you will. Now, Deanna, let me ask you this: This cup looks pretty heavy, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow! Well, it's just a cup of water, yeah. but it gets sure heavy after a while, doesn't it? Yeah. You did a phenomenal job. Let's give all the one a good hand. All right? Very good job. It's just a cup of water. That's what the world will teach your children. Ah, sin is no big deal. It's just a cup of water. And so they take it and sure enough, it feels light. Not a problem. Oh, I could, ah, these parents, that pastor at church. No, no, it's just a cup of water. But folks, that's why Solomon said to his son, give me thine heart. That's why the Lord says, thou shalt love me with all thine heart. Because if we're not careful to guard our hearts, if we're not careful to guard our children's hearts, the world will give them bid by bid by bid these evil, slick lies of Satan. And they will bit by bit fill more water in their cup. And what seemed so light and so pleasant and so enjoyable when they were young, as they grow older and older, it gets heavier and heavier. And the burden of sin will crush them and hurt them. And we wonder why we have so many miserable lives in this world. Wouldn't it be so much better? We have some parents that stand on guard for their children and says, I'm going to protect you. And uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm willing to teach you that that cup of water seems light now, but it'll get sure heavy on your heart. Listen to me now, child. Give me thine heart. Amen? That's why I believe God calls upon the parents, no one else, on the parents to guard, to educate, to instruct and teach, the children say well but but he's talking about the commandments of god there right that there ought to be teaching yes but as we just saw here in the new testament this refers more to than just bible doctrines this infer, it refers to the entirety of rearing and educating a child and so let me illustrate very quickly here in just a couple of examples how to use the word of god to educate a child just as, an, as, as for the sake of illustration here this morning you know you could teach math with the scriptures? Noah's Ark was 50 cubits wide. One cubit is about 1.7 feet. How many feet was the Ark wide? I had to get a calculator, I'll be honest. Anybody know or I'll give it to you. Who's good at math? I'm not. <laughs> 85 feet. 85 feet. You can use the scriptures to teach those things how do uh, uh let me turn to second peter chapter three you're going to love this second peter chapters three i'm going to teach you science uh, now from the word of god or rather we're going to expose science, falsely so-called if you will second peter chapter three in verse three did you know that there's uh uh two verses of scripture that in a profound way of uh, already over two thousand years before charles darwin exposed the fallacy of the theory of evolution Show Shows to you here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." Or do they? Have things always been the same, or could they have changed? Certainly they could have. <laughs> And the fallacy uh, that is at the core of the evolutionary theory is that we look at today and all the natural processes in the environment around us today, and then we use these very same observations to calculate back, you know, trillions of years. We'll come to find out again and again and again whether that is at the speed of light, whether that is um, uh, at... um, uh, the um, tsunami there in, in Indonesia, there in 2004, or many other examples that we could name where scientists are stunned at uh, the, the difference uh, of, of, um, between their expectations and reality. Climate change would be another example of that. Notice in verse 5, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. Folks, that, that, that fallacy of the presumption in evolution is done in willing ignorance. There's no way to scientifically prove that things have always been at the same speed, at the same development. Matter of fact, there's rather a lot of scientific proof for such dramatic world-changing events such as the flood and other things. That's why in Hebrews 11, verse 3, the Bible says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You and I were not created out of some some goobly-goob matter, some some original soup somewhere. (laughs) No, we were created out of nothing, by the breath of Almighty God. Amen? Already, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, God exposed that. Um you could like at so many other issues that the Word of God teaches so much better than the world does. I mean, if you think, for example of the the issue between gender and sex, and I realize we're, we're here with Sheldon, so I want to be appropriate, but you know of course the, um, uh, the claim these days is, oh, gender and sex are supposed to be two different things, which is complete nonsense, uh, let me ask you this, then why did God create? humanity as male and female not just as man and woman create them as male and female just asking um, why does the Lord warn us that the day will come when uh, the, the creature um, excuse me, when, when, when people change the truth of God into a lie and will worship and serve the creature more than the creator I think that's at the heart uh, of, of, of the core of these issues folks People have reacted to the truth for centuries or either the same way. If you read in Acts chapter 7, when they didn't want to hear anymore the obvious facts that, that uh, Stephen was preaching, they just cried with a loud voice, they stuffed their ears and ran upon him to destroy him. <laughs> Sounds like an adult tantrum there, right? And you know, things have not changed. When the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, uh, was prophesying the truth of the word of God, They said, hey, get out of here. We we don't want you to hear speak the truth of God's word anymore. Go somewhere else. We want you to tell us smooth things. Tell us what we want to hear, what makes us feel good. Uh, You know, Amos in Amos chapter 7 experienced the same thing. Or the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 2. It's always been the same. But folks, somebody at some point has to stand up for the truth of God just as Esther did in Esther chapter 4, their Queen Esther, when, when her uncle encouraged her and says, hey, you know what? If you're quiet, God's going to get his work done some other way without you. But could it be that thou would come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Folks, we have to realize that our children's education is not the same thing that maybe you or I experienced a few decades ago. It is not education anymore by any stretch. It is without doubt now indoctrination. Matter of fact, from what I understand, even here in our city, um, uh, true testing scores have been done away with more or less because you know we don't want to you know, offend anybody's feelings when they fail. That's not education. And so that's why the Lord calls upon uh, parents to train their children now folks i understand and so let me be clear about that and i'm very honest with you here i understand that not uh, not everyone may be able to feel that they can homeschool their own children I understand the outrageous living costs in victoria and and at the same time i also have to be true to the whole Word of God. And that is, while you will always find me to strongly encourage every parent to rear and to educate their own child, if they at all can. I believe the Bible makes it very clear that it is your responsibility to train, educate, and rear a child yourself. And that's where Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. But what if the government trains him up? What if the world trains him up in the way that he should go or she should go? He've already lost the heart before they're even five or six. Especially since the COVID years, parents have learned more and more that homeschooling is rather associated with academic success, with strong social development, despite all the slander about it, with children who, uh, who have a joy to learn, and with a family life that is not controlled by a God-defying, sometimes child-predatory system that destroys your family's values. Now, I've attended public school as a child. I've attended a Christian private school and I'm now homeschooling our children by the grace of God and where my wife is. And so I've, I've been in, in all three forms of education. And that's why I'm trying to encourage and us the way I am. I was thinking about Thomas Edison, one of the greatest inventors of all times. He's patented over a thousand patents uh, and, and changed the lives of every one of us. He he's, uh, came up with the alkaline battery, the light bulb, the motion picture camera, even the first electric car. But did you know that, that all sprang from the mind of a boy who was tossed aside by the school system and was taught by his mother at home? I was reading recently that homeschooling is illegal in socialist Cuba. And that in 2019, a Christian father and mother were actually imprisoned in Cuba for homeschooling their children. A uh, matter of fact, I know personally several parents who uh, had to flee out of Germany uh, overnight because the government was about to take their children away because of homeschooling. Have you ever wondered why the most totalitarian, the most god-defying governments feel threatened by homeschooling? Just a question. So, folks, we have to remember that our children are, are on missions—objects that we that we throw out there in the world to evangelize. The the, the world system. No, our children rely upon you and me for their spiritual protection and for their leadership, especially fathers. Amen. A battle for our hearts and our children's hearts, a battle for our kids in particular. And then as we move on there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, I think we we see how the Lord wants us um, to influence those around us, whether they may be old or young, in particular those in our own household. But notice there, there's a battle there too for our influence, the battle for your influence. Then Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou raisest up. In other words, we teach more by our example than we do through our words. Amen? Boy, that's convicting. Boy, that's humbling. I need you all to pray for me and for my children. I'm praying for your children as well. Say, I don't have children. Maybe you had children and you don't have them with you anymore. Be thou an example. Amen? That's what the Lord called Timothy upon there in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Notice, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Know what's right, know why it's right. And be an example in, do, in showing others on how to do right. Amen. That's why he called upon the parents in Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to talk about the word of God when they're in their house, when they're walking out, uh, out in the fields, uh, you know, uh, when they're laying, going to, to bed for a night with their family, when they're getting up and having breakfast in the morning. Always have the word of God around you and with you. Folks, God wants us not just to do the right things, much more so... He wants us to be different. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Maybe you've seen those motivational statements, right? Well, be the change you want to see in this world. Amen? Somebody once said you need to trim the tree, not the shadow that it's casting, if you want to see a different shadow. Amen? So it'll first and foremost starts with us changing and with us giving our hearts to the Lord. Folks, As the little boy David called upon the children of Israel when they, were, when they were facing the enemy, when they were facing the overwhelming Goliath and he cried out, is there not a cause? And at least the children worth it amen aren't we heartbroken like nehemiah was in nehemiah chapter one when he saw the walls broken down around the people of god there in jerusalem and he cried and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed before the god of heaven because the walls were broken down and the enemy was just walking right into the homes and right into the hearts and minds of the people of god and destroying their lives does it still bother us, amen. When I study Second Timothy chapter three, and I see a very fitting description of our times there, just as the Lord prophesied, at the last days there shall perilous times come, amen. People will be lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God and so forth, heady, high-minded. When I look at that description of the world around us, and, and, you know, God forbid so many times you and I act in that way as well if you don't guard our heart. The problem that I find is that our affections are in the wrong place which results in a lack of godly discipline, which results in falling just the lust of the flesh. So many times I determine, God, I want to give you my heart. God, I, 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 I want to live a different life, amen? And then the flesh creeps in somewhere. <laughs> and I follow the agenda of the world. And I'm playing on team evil instead of overcoming evil with good, amen? Have you ever been there? And God says, well, The problem is that I'm acting in the flesh because I don't have the godly discipline to deal with that flesh. And I'm liking the discipline, the motivation for the discipline, because my affections are in the wrong place. And that's where we go back to our first place. Where's your heart, amen? We're out of time, but I want to encourage you to look at James chapter four, verses three to uh, 17, James chapter 4. I'm just going to read this and and, uh, we'll close with that. James chapter 4, very practical chapter. If we want revival, folks, it needs to start in our own heart first. It needs to start in our own home first, amen? And there in James chapter 4, in verse 3, the Bible says, Um. you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust notice verse 4 you adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god i need to purify my home from the things of this world and purge out anything that is spiritually harmful or hindering to my walk with the Lord. I need to make sure I have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, even if it's just in my mind. Amen. And then I need to put, just like Nehemiah desired, I need to put up those walls of protection around my home. And I need to put in whatever safeguards, whatever uh, 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 spiritual standards uh, that I need to, to help me to be spiritual and to stay spiritual. And to stay godly and humble before the Lord, to, to make sure my affections don't get taken away from the Lord. Then I need to purify my life in order to experience revival. Notice verse six but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, be afflicted, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. By God's grace and His power, we can't live a godly life. We can't make a difference for good against evil. But it would require us for me to humble myself before the Lord, because He gives grace to who? The to the humble, Amen to the one that acknowledges their need for God's help. When I obey God, I thereby resist the devil. Folks, I need to be actively involved in the spiritual warfare that goes on for my heart and for my mind. And by God's power, you and I can chase the devil out of our lives. And again, the victory that God has promised us. But I need to draw an eye to God first, amen? I need to seek the Lord passionately. Like, like that was psalmist from Psalm 119. Amen. My soul longs for you. Amen. My soul longs for you. you need to draw nigh to God. That, that means I need to be in the Bible. Amen. That source of wisdom. That source of power. And need to train my mind to be focused upon God by being in the Word of God. Drawing nigh means I need to be in prayer. You need to be engaged in earnest, fervent prayer whether it be privately or whether that be collectively. I need to be willing to cleanse my life and to repent, and I need to be willing to remove whatever is polluting my heart. My desire needs to be single-mindedly focused upon Christ and upon His will for my life. That is how He'll have my attention, and that is how He'll also have my affections. My heart, folks. This also includes that I need to have the right priorities. And there, at the end of chapter four in the book of James, we see that God makes it very clear that we ought to put the spiritual things before the things of this world, before our business, before uh, all the other things that we need to take care of. Lord, I commit all these needs, all these matters, to you. And Lord, I determine today that I will put. The kingdom of God first. And trust you for the rest. Amen. So as we look at how God prepared Israel to live successfully in the promised land, to to live in an evil world and overcome it with good, I think there's some practical instructions for us, some practical helps. And, And our prayer this morning is, That wherever you are in your life, children or not, or or wherever you are, old or young, the Lord is reaching out this morning and says, dear child, who or what has your heart? That's where it all begins. And folks, when God has my heart, all the other things won't be that hard anymore. All the other things will fall into place. And whatever then he teaches my mind and my body to do will not be that big of a deal anymore, as long as God has my heart. He wants us to be different this morning. Are you willing? Are you willing to be the difference this world needs? Let's all stand, please. Bow our heads, close our eyes. The Lord is saying this morning, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God wants to give you rest from your own efforts, from your own failures, your own frustrations, from that vexing of your soul in this wicked and unrighteous world. And he says, I'm going to give you rest from that. Just come to me and give me your heart. And as you give him your heart, there will also be the willingness to obey.